Hey, thanks for downloading the Table Talk Radio podcast. This one might not be for the kids. We do Ten Commandments in the news talking about a federal judge is making it legal for two men to marry each other, and we and we talk about it, what it means, what it means for our culture, what it means for uh, marriage, what it means for love, and how the scriptures guard our affections. Then we do some preaching to Hollywood with this really dark song. Man, that's at the end. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're he mistaken. Said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it so, 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 so deserves to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. So, uh, you guys put the mega crunch on the song. That would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word. Passes. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. More effective than waterboarding, this is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> wow. Got a question for the Texan down there. Yes. Uh, are you still going to be a Broncos fan there, or are you just going to abandon... abandon I don't, remember me and Colorado. Trump don't watch football anymore. Oh, I'm against yeah. football because Trump. of the uh because of the uh you know the flag thing. all the it's all yeah. woke. Yeah. yeah. I'm against wokeness in sports. The I wokenness. See. There's none of that. The wokeness. <laughs> what is the deal about Colin Kaepernick and you can't buy the certain shoes and that stuff? What happened there? I'm against all that kind of thing. I don't know. I just want to watch a football game. That's all. Doesn't um, Nike use child labor? In, like, India to make all their shoes. Yeah. But now we have to get mad at them because what? You mean, like, every other company in the United States of America employing yeah. people from other countries? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Table Talk Radio, welcome back. Are we going to be regular now? Is everything, did the dust kind of settled? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Good. Uh, I want to know how Sweden was, though. It was fantastic. My heart is just overflowing. From this, I got to go to the Corpus Christi. 250 people, to, uh, 18 to 30 uh, young adults, uh, confessional Lutherans from 19 different countries, including, how about this, like far away. So Israel was represented. South Africa was represented. It was, it was it was fantastic. And here's all these kids, you know. I mean, it's like the next generation of the church. At some point I realized, man, I'm getting old because all these kids look like my kids. And I'm like, yeah, you're old. You're an old man. <laughs> and glad, then glad there's some great joy that. in getting old because— Oh, it's it's uh I mean, you know, like Paul says, we're closer now than we were when we first believed to the beautific vision. But, but well, also yeah, this... but I can say that without being as old as you. I mean <laughs> Yeah, close you we're all a little bit closer. A, I got a one year old in diapers crawling around. I, I feel yeah. like a, a youthful <laughs> that's, that's true. But to see it's the next generation of the church now. To be able to see the next generation of the church is incredible. Mm. Really incredible. I mean, at some point, we were the next generation of the church, and now we're not. The next generation is underneath us and growing up underneath us and doing greater things than we could even imagine uh, for the sake of the gospel. It's fantastic. Ah, it's like, I um, see. So it's you're, like used you're to... the Olympic runner, and you got the torch, and then 
you you see the person that you're going to pass it on and so you have this hope you're like now i just got to get there and i can pass the torch on and then i can go to my rest and so it's great so you're used to you know thinking, ah oh, these old guys don't know how to do anything let me do it better than they are and now you go to a conference you're like these guys are doing things i never thought of before uh, that's right that's right <laughs> cool. so great. nice Great. Well, that's your buzzword for today. Ooh, man, do I have a good one. I read the Flammy's thesis. You know, he wrote a thesis uh, called Apologetic Opportunism. It's published as a book. i got to correct a couple of typos, and then I'll make it public for people to order. It's really actually helpful. It surveys all the different apologetic methods. It talks about how they fit in. It's nice. Anyway, anyway he has this word from Gerhardt. Gerhardt invented a word to describe the error of medieval scholasticism of mixing philosophy and theology and it's a greek word and the buzzword is mixophilosophotheologia yeah 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 uh run that by me again mixophilosophotheologia so mixo mixing philo love sopho wisdom so philosopho that's philosophy Theo God logia word or theology. So it's like it's like one word that means like mixing of philosophy and theology. Mixophilosophologia. Did we have a prerequisite? Did we have Got a prerequisite it? that these words had to be real words, not just it, ones made up? It's old. It's so old it's gotta be real by now. Here's <laughs> here's what Gerhardt says. Okay. But why would we want to introduce this hybrid of philosophy and theology? That's it. The hybrid of philosophy and theology which was once the source of every evil in the church. Why give scholastic theology the right to return and restore it to our churches when the blessed Luther expended such great efforts to, and pains to drive it out? Why would we happily try to put it back into theology? Is it not far better and wiser to leave to philosophy its axioms, which must be explained, limited, and formulated from the light of nature, and to discuss the mysteries of God, which are above all reason of philosophy, only from the revealed word? It's fantastic. Hmm. Now, this is a, you know, the old uh, guy, Gerhardt, was accused, is accused in these days of mixing philosophy and theology. And here Gerhardt says, no, we don't do that. Of course we don't do that. It's pagan. Luther spent so much time unmixing it. What, are we going to mix it back together? No. So, mixophilosophotheologia. Okay. That'll be your buzzword. I probably won't notice it. You'll just slip it right in there. Yeah, well, I mean, just, you know, just natural conversation I'm going, to, I'm going for the full 500 points on that one my theological buzz phrase for you is growth in doctrine whoa uh this is the idea that uh, god is continuing to reveal and develop new doctrines in the church today so you know the old the old lutherans uh kind of had this idea that uh, theology is is uh is stagnant you know it's it's not like going to the the the, the spring where you have fresh water pouring in every day, but that theology uh, and doctrine is, uh, well, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, that is because God has revealed what he wants revealed to us in his holy word, and we uh, understand God's revelation to us confined by that word. Uh, we don't speculate about what God is doing outside of his written word or look for him to reveal new things outside of his word. The scriptures are God's revelation to us, and the scriptures don't change, surprisingly enough. They stay the same. So because of that, um, we see that God's uh, revelation to us, the doctrine of the of the scriptures remains the same. But not everyone goes for that idea. 
they say that God is revealing new things. And isn't it interesting, but by just a sheer coincidence, it just so happens that the new things that God is revealing is, uh, or I should say, are those things that society is adapting to as well. I mean, it just, what a coincidence, you know? Yeah, it's weird. The, the, weird. Way, the movement of the world happens to be in line with the new developments of doctrine that God is well, revealing. You know, so, I mean, <laughs> some of them have just given up the illusion, and they just say the Holy Spirit speaks through culture. Yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't even try to hide the fact that right. they yeah. think that there's some sort of— how, how can that possibly be, that there's some sort of inspiration behind culture? Right. I don't know. Yeah. It's wild. All right, so growth in doctrine is yours. Okay. All right. Uh, so I think we're going to do some Ten Commandments in the news to start off with, and this one uh, was sent in uh, by one of our listeners, and it's a—I uh, don't know how old this is. It seems like it's it's a, it's you know several years old, but it's a uh, local newscast from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and uh, News Anchor has two local pastors on set to talk about a um, federal judge that like approved same-sex marriage. So obviously this was before the Supreme Court decision. But uh, an interesting little dialogue that goes on between these two pastors. Let's listen in. Talk to you both about that, but let's talk about the Texas decision. I think it, it trumps everything, and let's right off the top get your reactions. Dr. Hudson. Well, certainly I'm excited about today's decision. I'm I'm grateful for the. Now, what is the decision? The Do we know yet what the decision case. is? So, so a this was when um, a federal judge um, acknowledged same-sex marriage. Oh, so this must have oh federal judge, right? A yeah. Federal so judge like in Texas. Said, so this must before the Supreme this must Court, be before yeah. the Supreme Court decision. Then, and this is just sort of a local then decision, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah th I got it. Th I got th it. Thanks for listening to my setup. Well, well I. <laughs> you, you know. to the. Um, you can't expect that much Texas, of me. And uh, really pleased with the decision of the judge. I think some of us were a little worried uh, being in Texas. Maybe perhaps it wouldn't happen this way, but um, we're excited about the decision. And I think it's a good day uh, when uh, decisions are made to support the full and equal rights of citizens of the state of Texas. And LGBT people are citizens of the United States, and they are citizens of the state of Texas, and should have all the rights and responsibilities and um, protections that other citizens have. Dr. Jeffress? Yeah. Well, really, I don't care what any federal judge says. The judge of all the universe already ruled on this thousands of years ago, <laughs> and God, who created marriage, said marriages should be between Whoa. a man and a woman in a lifetime relationship. And any deviation from that, adultery, unbiblical divorce, or homosexuality is wrong. But you know, on a real practical level, the issue is, where do you stop here? If you expand the definition of marriage to include uh, uh, homosexuals, why not expand it to include polygamists? I mean, they're a minority, yes, but they have as many rights as homosexuals or heterosexuals do as well. The real problem with this is, Steve, whenever you counterfeit something like marriage, you cheapen the value of the real thing. And we've seen in Scandinavian <laughs> countries that have embraced same-sex marriage, the heterosexual rate of marriage decreased precipitously. Last year, the same thing happened in the United States. We had the lowest marriage rate ever, I think. For society, the best thing we can do is to maintain the standard of marriage that our judiciary has understood for more than 200 years, and that is marriage should be between a man and a woman. All right, we're going to wow, this guy had a flamethrower reaction on the other side of the break. Uh, oh. Yeah, good stuff. A lot to react to in that, and we'll do so right after this break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. 
And we would love to hear from you by sending us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org, or give us a call toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Table Talk Radio, where the table really should do the talking. The Sunday Drive Home, Grappling with the Text on the Theo Vlog. These are some of the playlists on the YouTube channel. Visit YouTube slash Wolfmuller1. Check it out there. All right, we're back here on Table Talk Radio. Before the break, we were listening in to a local broadcast a few years old from Dallas, Texas, and we were hearing two pastors argue for and against same-sex marriage. Um, the, the latter said that this has already been decided by the judge of the universe thousands of years ago, and uh, the other said, well, this is about equality. What do you, what's your take yeah, on that little soundbite? It is really interesting. I, I don't... I mean, I think that we have things to quibble with on both sides here. Now, of course, you and I are big fans of marriage. The, uh, you, you know what? I was just I just pulled up the Obergefell decision here, and, and I was just scanning through it. It's 103 pages, so, you know, I read like the first paragraph. 0.1%. <laughs> but it's interesting. It come, this, it, this, the idea that, this, uh, that changing the definition of marriage would disparage marriage to the, the traditional idea of marriage that's the the point that the second guy made it actually comes up in this conversation it says we can't see that logical connection but i was just in the sweden you know the sweden yes and uh i i was talking to them i was talking to the kids about how in the reformation the big fight was is is the gospel a, a bank or is the gospel a court and my dad remember old dad he made the point yesterday that Leo X, the pope that excommunicated Luther, was from the Medici family, the banking family, and Luther studied to be a lawyer. So this idea of the bank versus the court picture is really hmm. has that background, which I'd never <laughs> made that connection. But we know that the major metaphor to describe uh, Christianity today is the dating relationship, you know, the high school dating relationship. And a couple of people came up to me and said, hey, that doesn't work here in Sweden because nobody goes on dates because nobody's getting married anymore. And the guys don't ask the girls to go on dates, and the girls are sitting there waiting. And I so I got on the, I busted the guy's chops. I'm like, ask these girls out. You're not going to get a better shot than now. Here's all these Lutherans. <laughs> and then the guys came up to me, and they're like, it's not just our fault. The girls want this Superman, you know, a guy who's some sort of macho guy with abs and also reads poetry and listens to them. No problem. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> until and he, the guy said, until they get thirty and desperate. <laughs> <laughs> So it was this big, like, uh, big controversy. So I went and looked up the statistics. You know, the in Europe, the the average first age of marriage. Now here, uh, so the oldest, the worst for first marriage is Sweden. You want to guess the average age of a guy getting married, first marriage in Sweden? So it's like not even worth so getting married you, at that point. Do you know what it is in in the United States? 27.2, which is the same as Russia. 
mm. which is amazing. All the Nordic countries are like 35, 34, some are 33. Guys are about two years on average older than the girls, and it's and it's climbing, climbing. And that's the people getting married. It's not That doesn't even include the amount of people that aren't getting married. They're just off the chart. They don't even skew the numbers, right, because they're not getting married. So, right, right. So this the the that the idea that changing the definition of marriage. So I had to tell the kids. I said, "Look, we want to be countercultural. We want to be. We want to stand against the world and say, hey, if you know, two guys are pretending to be married, or two girls, or whatever, you know, like a lady and her and her pet parakeet are trying to act like they're married to each other. Who knows who gets married these days? Like some some dude and a lizard." Uh, so we got to say that's not marriage, but the way that we really fight against it is by upholding this great gift of marriage and getting married and having children. I mean, this is how we, this is how we preach against it. And that's the fun preaching against it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyhow, a lizard that used to be a male lizard. <laughs> <laughs> they, they told me the joke. They said there was a Swedish guy and he was walking along the road. Some, he was like an engineering student and there he, and he comes across a frog. And the frog says, stop. And he stops and he says, did you say something? And the frog says, yeah, I'm a beautiful princess trapped inside a frog's body. And if you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful princess and I'll marry you and we'll live together happily ever after. So the guy picks up the frog and looks at it and says, is that, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. So the guy puts it, the frog in his pocket and, uh, and walks along, and, and the frog says, What are you doing? Aren't you going to kiss me? Turn me into a beautiful princess? And he says, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> nice. Um, that's a sweet, that's, a, that's how it goes in Sweden. So, anyway. That's good. Uh, all right, so I, I, I'm interested, we, and we don't maybe need to play the rest of this audio, but um, the reaction then to what we just heard from uh, the Baptist pastor, that uh, this is decided by God, and, and he's defined marriage, and oh, oh, we should say from that is a sin. What We should probably say one more thing about that. So is this, okay. so this guy, I, I appreciate this guy starts with the with the word of God. This is how, I don't, there's there's also a way that marriage is by nature. And so there, there's a, I don't know if this is, I don't want to reduce this to a strategy question, but we want to, we want to realize that marriage is not, does not only belong to the revealed knowledge, of the scripture, but it also belongs to natural law and natural knowledge. So that, because because one of the tricky things is mm -hmm. we want to hold Christians to the standard of the Bible, but we don't want to hold non-Christians to the standard of the Bible. That's one of these things where, like the, you know, the pro-life, they say, well, you just want to not kill the babies because you're Christian, and it says in the Bible not to kill the babies. And we say, no, 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 it's a human thing. Not killing the babies is a human thing, not a Christian thing. Now, Christians also are humans, so it's uh, it's our thing too. But it's and maybe it's even more because we have, because we know that our God was in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So we we have actually maybe more stake involved in the whole fight. But we don't have, but still, it's a, this is a human thing, and marriage is also a human thing. It's not a Christian thing. Now, now with that, you so, would you would say just just so that people don't misunderstand you. You know, morality, as summarized in the Ten Commandments, that's also within the realm of natural law. I mean, so that right. that that's right. It's not as if you're saying that uh, uh, that which is contained in the Bible is only for Christians. Right. That's right. So the Bible also gives us that morality. It gives us a shortcut to it, so we don't have to we don't have to go and like figure out what morality the rocks are teaching us. We we have a shortcut to natural law, but but we can hold the whole all of humanity can be held accountable to natural law. We can't go and enforce 
like theological things, like every person has to believe in the Holy Trinity because that's a gift given by, by faith that's revealed in the Holy Scriptures. But we can't say that marriage, what marriage is, this kind of, this compatibility view of marriage is a, is a natural law sort of thing. So the fact that the pastor begins with the decree of God, I mean, it's fine. I don't want to, in some ways, it's, it, he's right. That's right. But I'm not sure. We also want to say that, that that's also true for the people who, for the atheist also has mm-hmm. a stake in a, a, a natural understanding of marriage. Right, right. So I've, I've often said, look, when, when an uh, atheist uh, guy marries an atheist woman and they have an atheist baby, they are also um, benefiting from God's gift of marriage, uh, right. regardless of what they believe. Now, I want to get your reaction, because I'd be interested in this, that the response, which we didn't hear, from the uh, per, the person, the woman that spoke first, her response, or actually, it's actually how she started, too. Her response to the Baptist pastor was going to be, but God created all people equal. So you have on the one side someone saying, look, this is a definition of marriage, man and woman, and the response is, yes, but we are all equal. So the equality of a person trumps the definition of marriage. Would you respond to that? I've never understood this, and also maybe I'll say three things about it. Someone at the middle of the list remind me that I have more or less to say. Number one, I think that I, I don't understand the equality question because any any man can marry any woman that they want to if the other person agrees, and that's true for straight men and for homosexual men. So it's not like a homosexual man is forbidden by the law from marrying a woman. <laughs> I mean, you could have presumably a homosexual man and a and a lesbian woman get married to each other. There's no discrimination in the law. It doesn't say because you're homosexual you can't get married. Mm. So so there is an ego. And if, say there's a say there's a a straight man who wants to marry another man, he's also forbidden from getting married to that man by the law. So there's equality in the law. I've never understood the inequality argument at all. Um, because it doesn't, the law doesn't look at you differently depending on if you're if you're gay or straight. Everybody right. is equally forbidding. So so then so when you're talking about equality, then something different comes in, and that's where the argument about love comes in. And here's where we really have to dig in, because the idea of of mar- of of romantic love being the foundation of marriage is where things start to get really dangerous for us, because. Because the argument comes to the church when we say, hey, we think marriage is a man and a woman, and and then the argument says, well, who are you to forbid me from loving who I want to love? And the answer is, I'm, I'm not forbidding you to love whoever you want to love. I'm, that's what the command is. We have a command from God that says, love your neighbor as yourself. So you're commanded to love. So the two guys who love each other, we say, well, that's good that you love each other. That's what you're commanded to do. But what does that love look like? And this is where we understand that love takes different shapes based on the, the lover and the beloved and the vocations that the Lord has given. And that the love of one man for another it looks like neighbor and friend. And the love of a husband for his wife looks like the, the intimate love of the Sixth Commandment, amongst other things. Like the love of a father for a child is a very different kind of love than, say, the love of, of a pastor for his congregation or the love of the, uh, a governor for his citizenry. So that love takes a certain shape. 
And one of the biggest problems in this whole business of marriage is that it says the only shape that love can take is, is sexual intimacy. And that move to reduce love to eros is really the thing that's at stake mm. in this whole argument. Okay, that's, that's very fascinating. We have to take a break. But when we get back from this break, I would like to have you talk about then what about the person who says, look, this is who I am attracted to. I'm attracted to this particular uh, sex. Um, what do we say to them? So we'll be right back. More on Table Talk Radio. Reference. Somewhere, a mystic is crying. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. The Daily Bible Meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Hey, all right. What? Wow. Oh, you notice. Right. Wow, the, the the nice bump music is extended into the third segment. <laughs> Usually it stops at half time. How, how, uh, how far can I extend my expectations? Should I just stop there? Or can I wait with bated breath. Oh, man, I will. All right, before the break, we were talk, making some great points about uh, this concept of wow. love. And that, great points. That, one people want, <laughs> that some people will say, like, I want to love this man. And say, oh, yeah, good, you're supposed to love. But um, you have made the point that culture is reducing the idea of love uh, simply to eros, this um, this uh, romantic kind of love, sexual kind of love. Um, but I, I want you to address the person, though, that is saying, look, that is my attraction. That's the person, that that's the kind of person that I am given to love or that I want to love or that I am attracted to. So here you're saying that um, I'm supposed to love, you know, the opposite sex, but that's not... Um, who I'm attracted to? What would you say to well, that? See, this is the, okay. So, so first of all, I mean, this is this. This is why I, this this move to talking about love is what it kind of obscures the issue because it's not homo loveuality; it's homosexuality. Mm. Is that a word? That should be a buzzword. Homo loveuality. That's so kind of like Gerhardt's. Yeah, <laughs> mixophilophosoyohoya. Um, this it's it's a it is a question of of sexuality and when it so then it comes to sexuality and our and our sexual affections we just have to say okay what do we do with that so let's just assume that every person has in one way or another sort of varying mm, sexual proclivities or sexual desires what what do we say about that how do we treat those things if we can just recognize that all of us have something like that I mean maybe some people are not some people are born eunuchs. You know, they just are kind of going to be just themselves. They're sort of they they what for whatever reason they don't they don't have the desire for marriage or intimacy or something like that. And so we just so to, let's take that take that off the table and recognize that for the for most of human experience, there's some sort of driving force to our uh, to our created bodies to our to to our flesh. There's a, a Luther thing where he says. Um, the, the word be fruitful and multiply continues to echo in the flesh. I think hmm. that's true. Hmm. So, so what do you do about that? Should the law say something about it? Now, obviously, everybody says the law should say something about it because if because we can recognize there's a there's a there's a standard of perversion that every society has. I mean, you and you cannot escape that. So that 
I mean, so that there's going to be some things, some expression of your of your sexuality that's gonna that's gonna be offensive to the law, and it's gonna be criminal, whatever it is. So I mean, we hear like any sort of stuff with uh, with kids. You just, I mean, that's whew, that you're just it's gone, you know. Or now the standard that we have is is non-consensual. So if there's any sort of non-consensual uh, sexual activity we're able to say now that's that's wrong okay so so we have that we recognize the fact that you it's just not a free-for-all on your affections that there's got to be limits on the affections but what are those limits what and what limits should, should society set and what limits should culture set that's the question where should we where should we draw the line but we should start by saying that you there there must be a line drawn somewhere uh, if you know, if you can't just say, well, I like to do it and that makes it good, or I like to do it and that makes it legal because the basic act of, of ethics is to say the thing that you like is not good. Uh, we always, what is the example we always use is licking tires. Like a guy says, man, what I really love to do is lick tires. You know, when you walk <laughs> out in the parking lot and there's some dude over there licking your tire, you're like, Hey, Stop licking my tires. And he's like, "What?" But I love it. Who are you to tell me I can't do what I love? Mm. It's like, well, I'm a human being, and you, you, this is wrong. It's, you know, it's just not good. Don't lick tires. Uh, I, I, I heard a story. This was a weird. Did we talk about this? There was some guy who was going around and he was licking doorbells, like all the people had the ring doorbells. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. And he'd go around and he'd lick the doorbell, and then well, he got caught one day. He was just sitting there licking somebody's doorbell for like two hours. And they had it on video. It's like, that is not, there's nothing good about that. Now the guy goes to, he's like, no, hey, look, that's what I want to do. I was born this way. I've always, I grew up, I've always wanted to lick doorbells. It's like, well, don't, well, don't, you're, that's wrong. Don't pick Just because you want to do it doesn't make it right. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. That is a strange one. Now, now uh, so the... So when so when we know that we have to judge our affections and we have to limit our desires, then we have to say, okay, what 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 ought they to be limited by? And it's not just Christianity doesn't just say that men love women. It, no, it's very it's very exclusive. It says that marriage is belongs to two people, but that the that the kind of love that shaped like intimacy and marriage love is not it's not right for me to as a man to love uh, women. That's actually a sin. It's right for me to love Carrie one particular woman and that kind of exclusivity that that limiting of of intimacy to one man and one woman is um is putting a curve on these on these desires it's putting an extreme curve on these desires and recognizing then that that is what is best for the world it's what's best for humanity it's what's best in fact for me and for and for Carrie and for our family and for our neighbor and for everyone else so christianity is, is put uh, puts that kind of strict limit on the expression of intimacy now is it right that's see this is the conversation we need to have is it right or is it wrong and one of the things we need to recognize is that well really especially when we talk about like men being married to each other uh it's i think this is a little bit different than women being married to each other i think it's i mean it's same question different question but the understanding of chastity, the understanding of um, monogamy, the understanding of faithfulness is very, very, very different than what the understanding is with husband and wife. And so it's it just it turns out to 
to not be good. So, so the the but the but the basic question is, who are you to tell me that I can't love who I want to love? The answer is, I'm a human being, and so are you. That's what human beings do, is we we decide that, hey, this love is good and this love is bad. It's not just because it's love or affection or want or desire that it stands. Now, if someone is born with this affection for a man for another man, a woman for another woman, we have to we could recognize that that is a that is a burden. But we all carry those burdens. I mean, we all carry the burdens of, of lust and attraction and, um, I mean, almost all, and, and desires to do things that are, are wrong, and we have to fight against those things. All of us are fighting uh, alongside of each other uh, to encourage one another to be, to be faithful and so forth. So that's just, the, that's just the mess we're in. And it doesn't help us to fight along by saying, well, if you were born that way, that's fine. Like, what if I was born very, very sort of violent, I just love to just tear people's hair out or something. You say, no, that well, just because you're born that way doesn't make it right. There's a standard that needs to be applied to our desires. Which is true of all of us, right? I mean, it's, it's, not, yeah. a, it's not as if, um, you know, it, this is just applying to tire lickers and doorbell lickers. I mean, this is, <laughs> all of us, our, our inbred desires are contrary and against um, what God says. I mean, they're they're selfish. They're self gratifying. They're about us. Uh, they're not in love with the neighbor. Uh, to care for the neighbor, and so it, yeah, yeah. And I think I want to. I don't want to despair. I don't want to. One of the things that the, the, this kind of argument, I was born this way, does is it creates a sort of despair that our desires are like are fixed. Mm-hmm. Like they that they can't be changed that they, that they can't be honed. It's one of the basic fundamental points of Christianity, is that your desires can be adjusted, the things that you want can be can be tamed and shaped. It's one of the basis of the Lord's Prayer, that I can that I can I can start to want the right things. And we and we have this all the time in in the world too when people are trying to train habits or tr- train diet. That you can change from like liking only to eat fast food to liking to eat healthy food, and the more you eat healthy food, the more you actually you you start to want that thing. So we know, so we know both from the scriptures and from from our experience that you can train your desires and you can reshape your desires. But that idea that you can retrain your sexual desires has become illegal now in our culture, mm-hmm. which is so crazy. Yeah. That you can't go to someone and say, "Hey, you can reshape your desires." That'll get you. you know, that kind of basic common sense will get you thrown in jail in California, mm-hmm. which I don't understand. I mean, I'm trying to figure this out. Like, let's say, just for an experiment, let's say there's some straight man because this is what we, they call conversion therapy, right? Yep, yep. Let's say there's some straight man living in California, and he says, "You know, I'm I'm being persecuted because I'm straight." I would fit in so much better here in California if I was gay. So he goes to the therapist and he says, hey, I'd like to like men instead of women. Could you help me? Now, presumably, that would be illegal, right? For him to... We only ever, we only ever hear about it the other way around where oh, some guy has yeah. trouble because he, likes, gotcha. he likes other guys and he wants to change and have a family or whatever. And now, now that's illegal, but is it illegal to go the other direction? No. It's weird. Uh, yeah, you're right, though. I mean, is that? Uh, Kenny Wampus. Yeah. So I remember, so Oregon passed a bill uh, two or three years ago following that California bill saying that, you know, it makes it illegal for therapists to 
to do so-called conversion therapy. I think this was for minors, in, at least in Oregon's case, so that if a minor comes in, talks to a therapist, and, and they you know, say that they're gay or have, or have same-sex attraction, that the counselor can't persuade them away from that. And I interviewed uh, uh, someone at the time, and he was going through some of the common reasons um, because of psychology why people uh, lend towards same-sex attraction. And they were all things that, you know, people could work through and, 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 and um, overcome, but all of those options are now unavailable to minors in Oregon and California now because of this law. And it just was a, another example of politics ruling how we're going to um, be setting policy. So we'll be right back. Preaching to Hollywood right after this. Where mediocrity comes to feel better about itself. This is Table Talk Radio. So I've kicked up the Wolf Mueller One YouTube channel, and I was talking to Daniel, my expert YouTube advisor, about it, who said, Dad, your stuff is really bad. I know, Daniel, I know. But look, I have 4,006 uh, for watch time. And to monetize on YouTube, you got to have 4,000 hours. And I, I look, I said, look, 4,006. And Daniel says, Dad, you have 4,006 minutes, not hours. <laughs> anyway... If you want to see what we're up to over on YouTube, you can visit YouTube, search for Wolfmuller. Wolfmuller1 is the channel name. See you there. Well, that's new. Does that huh. sound familiar? Hey, is that Joel's thing <laughs> that he sent? Yeah. Was it Joel? Nice. Joel. Oh, okay. Yeah, Joel sent it over. All right. Hey, Flammy's calling. Tell him I'm busy. Oh, wait. I just hung up on him. <laughs> I wonder That's if he heard that we were using his buzzword. Mixophilosophologias. Yeah, he oh. he got that sense and just called in. So um, so uh, are we done talking about this? We yeah, gotta, let's move on. I have to put a warning on the beginning of this show of the sensitive nature of our conversation oh yeah i was uh i was reminded uh recently that we should be keeping our our table talk radio episodes family friendly yes well look at i wish our culture was a little more family friendly <laughs> as do i all right well i got a uh a preaching to hollywood for us to, to discuss okay this okay. one comes to us from daniel he says uh here is a where's daniel from uh westminster colorado fiji earth <laughs> Earth, Australia. <laughs> Earth, Australia is right. He says, here's a contestant for preaching to Hollywood. I do hope this isn't in the Club Rogue River rotation. That's possible. We'll have to see. Um, so I this... forgot about the Club Rogue River. <laughs> I did, too. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been over to the library in a while. Um, okay, so the, uh, the artist is uh, Aaron Chupa. And the song is called Rave in the Grave. Whoa. Get ready for this. It's an interesting one. Just okay. Gonna, just warning you.
now that I think about it, that one may have been in Club River. It's been it's been so while. So I pulled up the lyrics here. You don't worry about the dead life. You'll be in the hands of death, and death is pretty damn nice. So won't you take a breath? We don't want to be alive. No, we don't want to be alive. No, we don't want to be alive. No, we just want to die. Rave in the grave. You know, one of the assumptions I think that's in play with preaching to Hollywood is that the lyrics that are in a song uh, are conveying some kind of a th- uh, thought or worldview or perspective of an artist. And sometimes I get the sense that songs are written just because words kind of go together, maybe like rave and grave <laughs> but that, that that this song has any further meaning other than two words that rhyme i might think this is a little generous this is dark though <laughs> it is it is uh well there's there's i think a point at least in that much um that uh that we're we're in a place where someone would release a song singing about grandma dying but now she's in a rave in the grave um i don't think you'd hear that song 20 years ago uh i don't think so either i don't it's um, yeah, it's a. I mean, it is. So one of the key, one of the key things, one of the key questions that we have to wrestle with in life is what happens when we die, or mm-hmm. you know, most people just say nothing, nothing. You're just dead as dead. That's there's a sort of. When I say most people, I'm not sure actually most people. Maybe most people say you go to heaven, but to wrestle through the question because it's it matters if there's going to be a judgment on the other side of life and. And if it's true what what is written in Hebrews chapter 2 that the that the bondage of the devil is indicated by a fear of death then this is really this mm. is really important for us to imagine what what happens to you when you die we might try to push that question off but here the song says ah we don't worry about it i want to go to die because death is like a rave now how like what mm-hmm. upon what do you base that argument I I would say now at some point you're like, well, you're probably right about this, Evan. I base that argument on the fact that grave rhymes with rave. <laughs> no, it, That's it, pr- it says right here that the, the angel came. So this the is angel like came. this is like uh, you know growing doctrine from the angel. I'm Divine. using buzzword. For oh, you. yeah, growth of doctrine. That's my buzzword. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I, okay. So so maybe it's just a matter of things rhyming. But or or the, if there's any point I, I again i don't know there is a point to this song but i think if, if there is it is to say don't worry about death and i think um uh you know so the christian has has a perspective on don't worry about death in that you know uh you always talk about this how how there's the sweet names of death with the scriptures so that paul will talk about death being a portal unto life uh these kinds of things but the world, the culture, wants to give us a message that don't worry about death too, and they want you to think don't don't worry about death because there's nothing that we can do about it anyway. So this is the kind of thing someone dies, say, well, it's a part of life, you know, get over it. Don't don't become too attached to anyone. Don't don't. Uh, uh, it's kind of like a don't name your cow kind of a kind of a mindset, or um, you know, so so and so died, but. Think of all the thousands of people that die every day. So, I mean, this is just kind of a part of life. So, there's there's nothing you can do about death anyway. So, no big deal. But mm-hmm. I mean, really, uh, that that idea comes 
comes by disconnecting yourself to the reality, right? So if you're if you're trying to push through uh, the grief of losing someone by saying, "Ah, eh, let's just let's just distance ourselves from emotional attachment to that person," you're just trying to ignore the reality that that death is something that we contend with. And so uh, we see this all the time in our culture. We're trying to ignore death. We think if we ignore death, then death might leave us alone. So we don't have funerals. We have celebrations of life. You know, we uh, we don't uh, observe uh, things about death anymore. We, we, we'd much rather, you know, rather than have like a casket at a service, we'd rather just do a cremation because now we don't have to deal with, look, that casket's right there. It kind of creeps That's us out, thing. that kind of stuff. It's a thing. Uh, so, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we're trying to ignore death in our culture. And I think maybe there's a slight point to that in this song. Or maybe yeah. it's just rhyming words. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's so many other options, you know, rave in the cave. <laughs> That's right. Rave with aftershave in the microwave. <laughs> That's right. There's so many bands, you know. Mm. Oh, well. Um... We do need to talk about death. I mean, that's... Don't worry about the... Uh, see, don't you worry about the dead life. You'll be in the hands of death, and death is pretty damn nice. Yeah, That's sure. something. No, wrong. Isn't that's that wrong. We do, we do say, hey, Jesus, Jesus comes and he has something better to say to us. Hmm. I mean, he has something better to say, don't worry about death. He, he says, look, it's, all who believe in me will not perish but have eternal life. Right. How much? I got a picture. Uh, I'll paint. How much time do I got? Two and a half. So imagine this. Imagine. So imagine we're all standing in a line, long line, like Disneyland kind of, kind of line, and we don't even know what we're standing in line for. So we get get around the corner. We see that this line kind of goes to this curtain, and you're walking through the curtain, and one after another, people are walking through the curtain, and you hear the sound. You hear this. Doom, And as you get closer, you start to see like a little veil that something's happening on the other side of the curtain. And you realize what it is, is as people walk through the veil, there's some guy, some big monstrous guy with a sledgehammer. And he goes, Doom, hits them on the head and they crumple over. And then these creatures come and grab them and haul them off. Like, Whoa, I'm in the wrong line. <laughs> you know, you're looking for Isn't this cuts. Anybody want to cut? Yeah, that's right. Someone <laughs> jump in front of me, you know. But then you see it happen. Someone does jump in front. There's a guy, and he kind of cuts up in front. And you're like, "What is he doing?" He knows he's, he's like right up front, and he goes, and then he goes through the, he goes through the thing, and you see it happen. The hammer goes down, doom, doom, and he crumples. And here comes these little to carry him away. But all of a sudden, he he kind of he stands back up, and he looks at this big monster with a sledgehammer, and he grabs it out of the sledgehammer, the sledgehammer out of his hand, and he, boom. Hits this big monstrous dude on the head with a sledgehammer, and he falls over, and he gets carried away. And then this guy who went before there, he's standing there with his arm. You see it through a veil with his arms wide open, waiting. And now, and now, you can't wait to get into the front of this line. You see, hmm. I mean, this is what Jesus does in his in his death. He destroys the one who has power of death, and now he's the one waiting for us on the other side of the veil. And so. To, for us to live as Christ, to die as gain, we're we're headed for that spot. I mean, and this has totally changed our preaching of what we think about death. Yeah, uh, Helmut Tillich made this point that uh, that 
that we're not we don't humans don't face death like a chicken who has its head cut off but that we actually see the uh the sickle coming down that we live life in knowledge of death and so our entire lives are trying to avoid it or change it or that the gospel comes along and uh, we have the answer of death in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where we don't mixophilosophiologia. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. We'll Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor to before listening to Table Talk Radio. Today. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.